Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. Hey listeners, you're in for a fantastic interview today. Our guest is Emily Miller, the CEO and founder of Off Limits, an innovative and modern serial brand taking the CPG space by storm. Emily has a super unique background in fashion, forecasting, and hosting breakfast meetups. There's an obvious connection between breakfast meetups and creating a serial brand, but how does her fashion and forecasting experience influence her brand? You'll hear about that, NFTs, how she thinks about the CPG space and the metaverse, why she's adamant about sourcing her own ingredients, why customers spend hours on the off-limits website, and a lot more. Now here's the interview. Emily, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Going great. Thanks for having me. For sure. I'm super excited about this conversation and the chance to chat with you. Um, We got connected through Tyler Phillips from Pumi and uh, Hummy. Sorry, I always forget how to say his brand name. Sorry. Uh, sorry, Tyler, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, he told me about this really cool founder that has a really, um, a really modern and cool brand that's doing very, um, I don't want to keep, I don't want to keep saying modern, but really modern things with their marketing and saw your website. He introduced us and I'm just excited that we're able to, that we're able to chat. So welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, sure. Tyler's great. We're in the same NFT group together and then we sh- share the same animation studio. So we've been able to talk about all sorts of cartoon stuff and NFT stuff and it's been fun. And that's how I got introduced to you. So I love it. Is the NFT group that you're in, is it the club CPG? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, I just got, I just heard about them. I've been following, um, remind me the Schmitz, uh, Jamie on LinkedIn for a while. So yeah, so I've, I've, uh, known about her and then I was just like Googling down a rabbit hole one day about CPGs and NFTs and club CPG came up and I was super fascinated by it. And I'd already been connected with Tyler as well. And he told me that he was a part of it and I'm just, I just think it's really cool. So we'll have to, we'll have to circle back around to that. It's highly specific and highly active. So it's, um, it's been a really amazing community. Yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, 
I was, I said, we'd circle back around to it, but we might as well talk about it because we're already talking about it. Like, um, I just learned about NFTs myself like a month ago and have bought some and stuff on OpenSea and have, you know, joined all the discord groups and gotten into it a little bit. And because I work in CPG have just been fascinated by where the connections are. And, um, so that's why, you know, I talked to Tyler about it and stuff, but even in the past week, I guess it was about a week ago that Facebook announced the name change to meta and the word metaverse is now becoming mainstream and everyone's talking about it. Right. So I think that's just going to accelerate, um, how it impacts businesses and stuff. But, um, how did you get into NFTs and yeah, let's just start with, start, start, start with that. Yeah, my background is in trend forecasting, everything from fashion to food to design. So I am constantly looking at the future, looking at things from a global scale, scaling in and out. I'm obsessed with studying culture in that way. So specifically countercultures are what excite me because I feel like that's where the hub of creative energy is. And I kind of need to be part of those groups to like, feel inspired and it really helps kind of feed my energy as well. So I've always been, what I love the most about NFTs is that it's really one of the first times where traditionally tech people are partnering with traditionally art people and creative people. And both of them are kind of using the creative skill sets that they have in each of their industries to come together to create these little like, uh, kind of like projects together that are so insane and um forward thinking and everything from the art to the tech to like the community building around it it's this space that kind of feels like the wild west right now which means the creative energy is flowing so hard and people are just trying things seeing what sticks some stuff works some stuff does it some things are a million dollars the next day some things crash to zero and i think the people who enjoy that kind of of feeling um, are all kind of gathering towards this space. So naturally it's where I'm gravitating as well and very much navigating from a non-tech person, um, how I can really be involved in the space. That's awesome. I love what you said about the energy and just the kind of the chaos, like it's worth a million dollars now and tomorrow it's worth a hundred thousand or you know, bought it for 400 and it's up to 5,000. Do I sell it? Do I not sell it? I'm not sure. What does it all mean? Right. And, um, I feel that a lot too. And I think that's part of what's so exciting about it. Um, you mentioned, um, before we got on the call, how off limits is kind of a convergence of all of your experiences from your past and kind of all the different things that you've done and trying to kind of bring it all together into one brand. Um, I guess, tell us how you're thinking about NFTs with your brand and maybe talk a little bit about like how you see the next even just few months or a year playing out with CPGs and NFTs in the metaverse. Yeah, I mean, we're taking baby steps. I think it's natural for me to want to like feel that I have put in the amount of work um, and like partnered with the correct people so that we're creating a project that is impressive not just like regular people but like really feels like it fits into the counterculture it's not something that not that it's a counterculture at this point but um it has its own kind of slang and terms and everything and to me that kind of feels similar so i want to make sure that we're 
doing right by the community that has kind of built this thus far and like powered through getting NFTs to where they are today. So I take that part very seriously and have to study that side, but then also figure out as a CPG brand founder, how to get people who have never heard of an NFT interested. So I'm at this kind of crossroads where we either build a very kind of crypto native project or we build kind of like that medium bridge in between. So I'm working on a roadmap that kind of encompasses a few of those phases. And honestly, for the past six months, I've been trying to figure all of this stuff out and have gone in so many different directions, learned an immense amount. But um, TBD on timing, but definitely before the end of the year, we're going to be launching our first NFT project. And the value that I see in NFTs, at least for consumer brand, is somehow giving access to community, which would include, you know, discounts, like new drops, like that kind of stuff. To me, that's a complete given. If that ends up being tokenized eventually, that feels like a second. But the actual NFT I'm very interested in what the application is for IRL use. So one of the first projects that we're doing basically treats an NFT like a cereal toy. And when you buy cereal, you get a free off-limits NFT. And if you're one of the holders of our like first drop collection in whatever way we end up being able to release that, um, there will be benefits down the line because this is something I feel super bullish on and like, very passionate about bringing into the off-limits universe as well. I mean, I can, I'll go crazy for an hour talking about how I want <laughs> like off-limits to be like best cereal in the metaverse and like how we can kind of exist in all of these different spaces and bring it into like augmented reality and gaming and everything. So um, it's what I do on the weekends essentially, because at <laughs> the end of the day, I'm still running physical consumer goods business, but um care very much about what's happening in this space. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I, for one, will have an eye on, we'll keep an eye out for what you got for your launches and stuff and your mints and everything that comes up. I think that, um, I do think that it's cool that um, kind of as a CPG brand, you have the natural inclination to want to know, okay, what are the kind of the IRL, like the real life applications of the NFTs that we, that we make and not just the online um, metaverse versions. And I'm, you know, I'm sure that if things kind of happen the way that people are predicting, they will, the online world and the real world will just kind of more gradually kind of join and not become the exact same, but be, but, but be more joined and kind of more have more in common than they do now. Um, I think about um, Gary V's NFT launch and how his tokens or how his, um, you know, how his launch went well and how the value of his NFTs is really high. And part of it is because it's the only way that you can get into his conferences that he's doing the next few years is if you're a holder of his token. And so it's one of the examples of kind of the real world benefits of holding those. So I think, uh, I think that's cool. And I think it's cool that you're thinking about it and that you're on the forefront of all that stuff. I think that's really, I, I think that's really awesome. Um, jumping back, let's talk about the origin of Off Limits and how you started it and go from there. It started, well, we launched last year, which um, in itself has been insanity, <laughs> but we're figuring it out. And um, 
It started because specifically my career has ended up in breakfast. So cereal made a lot of sense for many things that I've done in my past. I went to school for fashion design. As I mentioned, I was doing trend forecasting. I've traveled all over the world, kind of like writing and doing editorial projects, um, either for forecasting or talking about restaurants. I like while I was traveling, I wanted a way to connect with creative communities in each city. So I reached out to chefs who had like Michelin star restaurants or like tasting menus. And I was like, Hey, I think you should make breakfast for like all the creative people in the community. And, um, it worked. And I hosted 40 plus events all over the world where chefs like Enrique Olvera at Pujol would like take a break from his tasting menu and cook this like family style meal for 30 or so creative people. It was a one-time only thing um, really just to induce creative conversation and connect people who hopefully have always wanted to meet in real life. Um, that was obviously very pre-pandemic. And that led to a cookbook deal with Fiden and I wrote their cookbook on breakfast. So 380 recipes from all over the world. I worked with a hundred plus people um, from each of the countries that were represented in the book. And they talked about like things their grandparents were, would make like called their cousins. Like it was such a beautiful collaborative documentation of what people eat for breakfast around the world and breakfast as a meal I think extends at any time of day but there's something really special about the morning and when you like cook breakfast or meet someone for breakfast in the morning you're sacrificing sleep therefore like you must really care about this person so there's this act of like love and awkwardness because there's no alcohol or anything either um, when you meet someone in the morning that I think is like a little bit like maybe a little masochistic of me to host events at like 8.30 in the morning. But like um, when you lure people in with good food, I think a lot of great things can happen. That's like, the, that's like one of the best one-liners I've ever heard. When you lure people in with good food, a lot of good things can happen. I mean, that's true about a lot of, uh, of in-person things, but um, yeah, that's really cool. Oh. So yeah. So how did that lead to starting off limits? You said you just started last year. So you wrote the cookbook, you're hosting these breakfasts all over the world, the pandemic hit. What next? Yeah, the the events really transitioned a bunch of times. Um, I was looking into how I could turn it into a business, but they were just so special in the way that they were that it just felt it felt like it kind of hit its peak and I might bring it back at some point through off limits, which I think would be amazing. And a lot of people have been asking about that um, because they were just so connective and great to meet people. So now that we're somewhat allowed to and safe, safely doing that again, um, it, it could come back. And then when I turned in my book, like the book came out in 2019, like shortly after that, I was just like, oh God, I'm not doing events. My book that I've worked on for three years is done. What am I doing? Like, this is crazy. I've basically only freelanced or worked for myself my whole career. So I honestly didn't even know what kind of job I would go out for. And it, you know, a lot of like emotional stress, like dealt with a lot that summer trying to like figure things out. But what I really wanted to do is combine my love for art and design and food. And cereal is one of those things that 
just hasn't been innovated on in decades. Like there's Kellogg's, which is the fun, cool, like characters, colors, flavors, everything, but like absolutely trash ingredients. Um, still a place for it. Everyone loves it, but like you kind of know what you're getting at this point. And then there's Kashi and like the healthier cereals, which like, okay, cool, but like not exciting in any way. So I wanted to give people permission to eat cereal again and not have to like be bored doing it essentially. So created this like insanely wild crew of mascots. And I kind of did this when I was in somewhat of like a deep depression, like trying to build the company and like figuring out what I wanted to do next. So these characters have very extreme and moody personalities, but they really mimic human emotional cycles, which I think is why people feel so connected to them. It's because they are real. So um, the characters' personalities inspired the flavors and we have um, vegan and gluten-free ingredients. I care very much about food and sourcing and everything. So we just wanted to be like a positive, good for you kind of cereal company that was taking back cereal culture because there really has not been any new like characters where the characters are telling stories, toys, anything. So Off Limits is, is here to kind of rethink what cereal culture looks like for new generations. I love that. And I, and I love your, um, your honesty and vulnerability about kind of the tough time you went through in 2019 and how the characters are kind of a reflection of, you know, some of those feelings that you had. I feel like being able to normalize that and talk about like all feelings as being valid and as being worthy and good. And you just need to feel them when they, when they come up, right. And to not uh, demonize the bad feelings that we typically don't want to talk about and, or that we don't want, that we want to pretend like we don't have in Western culture. Right. Um, what was the name of that Pixar movie that I'm forgetting that came out a few years ago that talked about, that talks about feelings. Um, remember which one I'm talking about? Yes. And I remembered it and then I immediately forgot it. I know Inside same out. here, but for some reason, <laughs> Inside, out. Inside Out. Yes. So yeah, like yeah. for some reason, not that your characters are a ripoff of that, but like when you talked about like the characters were born from the feelings that like those characters kind of popped in my mind and I thought, oh yeah, that's cool to kind of have that, read that and representation there. What's great about that movie too, is that it's kind of for adults too. Like they pose it as maybe it's for kids, but like everyone needs to understand how to normalize mental health and prioritize their emotional well-being. And I don't really know that many brands that are doing that, especially in the food space. And food is directly connected with how you feel. So I am so anti-diet culture, anti-like peddling products and like trying to get people to buy things based off of like a hype ingredient or like cool trend that's happening. It's very much about just like doing what you're doing, nourishing your body in the way that you feel you need to nourish it at that time and normalizing that. So if people are on a specific diet or dietary restriction, great, like enjoy the foods that you can enjoy. And um, we're just kind of here hanging out and characters really help, I think, create that bridge with people where you know sometimes we can't say things as a brand but like the characters can so <laughs> that's awesome yeah you said that um you wanted to make cereal fun again and I haven't tried your cereal yet I'm going to for sure um but it looks like you've done a good job of that making it fun and your website's really fun too your social media and all that stuff as well um you mentioned the ingredients 
and how that was a really, um, you got kind of big part of your brand and it, it is a big part of your brand and the sourcing the, the ingredients a certain way. Tell me more about that. Like when you first got started, how did you go about um, deciding what was going to go in the cereal and then how did you source those ingredients? Um, yeah, so it was a pretty long process because I was really specific about who we were working with and what was going to be in the cereal. Um, we, I mean, I tested stuff in my kitchen, which you can only do so, so far with cereal because it's an extruded product, which is what makes it very difficult to produce. But from a flavor perspective, I knew exactly what I wanted. So I worked with a flavor developer. Um, oh my God, for the coffee cereal, I think we went through 50 iterations of it because getting a true coffee flavor, like micro roasted coffee that you would have from an amazing coffee shop is very hard to achieve. And the only way to achieve it is to use really good coffee. So we use Intelligentsia coffee um, in the coffee flavor and um, spent a really long time sourcing kind of like supporting flavors of that. So like our cocoa powder, things that would kind of match. It turns the milk to cold brew. So it has this kind of like fun functionality element to it also. Delicious. Um, and all the flavors kind of, we took a lot of time to develop them for sure. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to have to try that one for sure. The co coffee cereal, that sounds really tasty. Um, when you, so you mentioned going through all the different flavors, um, you know, I said 50 different attempts to get the coffee right. And that cereal is hard to make. Um, do you make it in your own facility or do you guys use a co-packer? Uh, no, we use a co-packer and that's what makes, there's a reason why, you know, there's a few, um, a few newer cereal startups, which has been amazing to see because someone's got to shake up this space and I'm happy we can all kind of like push through together and hopefully like mm. create some kind of change. And what's funny is like, there's really only a few places to produce cereal in the U S and the quantities, like the MOQs are extremely high, which makes it a pretty tough barrier to entry when it comes to small brands. So the past like year plus of us doing this has really just been kind of figuring out our supply chain, making sure we can get cereal um, taste consistent, manufactured consistently, timing wise. So, I mean, we've been sold out for certain flavors for like random amounts of time, but I mean, that's kind of like the startup space. And I think we've really created, um, we put in a lot of work and I think created a nice amount of space um, for us in the industry now that we've kind of like figured everything out. So. Right on. So it's, so it's been kind of a combination of, of trial and error patients being okay when stuff gets sold out and like figuring out supply chain and all that stuff. And you feel like you're on a pretty good cadence now. Yeah. And I mean, we're essentially really tackling the culture side of cereal. So to me, like we have great ingredients, like that's a given. I think any food brand that comes out now has the responsibility to be um, thoughtfully sourcing ingredients. And so I was like, okay, that's fine. Like that's expected. Now let's see what we can like really do in the culture side of the space, which has not been touched in a long time. So mm -hmm. when we sell out of something, it's similar to when we sell out of one of our cereal toys. Like we work with the streetwear drop app um, network and whenever, like we've done um, 
custom artist boxes where they like took over the entire box. So we worked with Greg Mike, who's um, also big in the NFT space actually. And then Sophia mm -hmm. Chang, who is an incredible graphic designer. And we worked with this like streetwear designer based in the UK to make this like basketball bag that was upcycled and it sold out in five minutes. And we're basically, um, testing things out. Like it's just like with fashion. So my, I'm applying my background in fashion very much to the food industry. Um, so when we sell out of things like in the background, it's a struggle from the team and everything, but like we try and be like, it's okay, everyone, we're coming back. Like, don't worry. It's actually a good thing to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned your team what sort of kind of what's kind of the makeup of your team? What are you focused on doing like the actual work? Like not the not not that it's not all work, but like the actual um, execution of and what have you hired in house or kind of what are you outsourcing as far as the uh, the operation of the business goes? Yeah, so I mean, we're hiring come come work for off limits. Go, go check out so the careers fun. page, everyone. Exactly. Um, always looking for people, but it's really, for me, it's the right fit of the person. Like I'd rather carve out a very specific, um, job description for somebody who I really love. And I think completely understands the brand. So we're very small. We're three people right now, full time and, um, work with a few contractors for various things, but I'm staying extremely lean until, um, we're really ready to kind of scale it up, which is happening soonish so ready nice. ready to bring on more people i love that hence why you're hiring and wanting to kind of grow that kind of stuff where have you focused you, you obviously are, are selling on your website where else are you focused on kind of growth for the next year yeah um i'm obsessed with grocery stores it's just like a personal thing that like i <laughs> really want to see the cereal in the cereal aisle and um i think it's important especially even if we're a little bit more expensive for now to have an alternate option, that's fun. So when kids are kids, adults, whatever, are going through the cereal aisle, they see off limits and they're like, oh, these ingredients, like so much better, like technically better for you than some of the maybe like other kind of classic cereals that we're used to eating. Though there's obviously a time and a place for those. I just want people to have another option for healthier kind of food and choices. That's awesome. Are you guys planning on just kind of focusing on the grocery stores um, in and around New York when you start? Or are you wanting to go kind of like a national scale or what's your approach there? I'm curious. Um, I mean, we have a retail plan where we're working on. It's kind of, we have a good strategy for it. I think grocery is cool. one part of it, but we have single serve mini boxes. And from day one, our plan was to get those mini boxes into hotels, coffee shops, like fashion kind of cool stores and really alternative retail locations. But then obviously dealing with the pandemic, like shut everything down, like that was half of the business model. So I had to kind of transition and really focus on D2C for a little bit, which was fine. And now we're ready to kind of work with restaurants again and friends and coffee shops and like build that community element of the brand that I think we can do with mini boxes so people can get a little taste and then go pick it up in the grocery store or I love that 
other like e-com sites and things like that. I always want off. The goal is that the off-limits site is like, you've fallen into the cartoon dimension. Like, can you buy cereal mm-hmm. here? What am I doing here? Why am I playing this game now? The average time um, on our homepage is six minutes, which is absolutely no way for a CPG brand. So I'm really proud that our designer and developer um, are aligned with <laughs> with like bringing an experience versus just like constantly trying to sell things. Because if you're on a brand site, like you already have heard of the brand, like you know them and you kind of just want to see more what they're about. So I think mm-hmm. we're putting our weirdest foot forward with our site and I love that. So I love it too. I, I think it's really brave and cool. And the question came up in my mind as I was, cause I was, like I said, I was on your site a little bit before we jumped on and I saw like the, I was on the, I was on the cinnamon cereal page. I saw the I spy game that you had down there. And then there was the pop-up and most of the time people don't like pop-ups, but as marketers, they're pretty effective. Right. And so, um, but the way that you do your pop-up was cool. It was like, are you still shopping? I can't remember exactly what it said, but it basically was like, are you ready to like, it like, wasn't very forceful. It like, wasn't super salesy. It was like super on brand and fun. And really it occurred to me that like, you really focused on doing that with your website in a way that is, that really isn't done with very many other brands, um, which I think is really cool. And I'm curious, like what helps you to be comfortable, like taking that kind of a risk and, you know, being okay with putting your foot forward and being different than everyone else? (laughs) Um, It's a good question. I'll use that pop-up as an example because... (laughs) Basically, it's because I go too far in like one creative direction and I probably have to scale it back. So that's me scaling it back by um, being like people are spending too much time on the website. We got to get them to like check out at some point. So the pop up is just like I'm ready to check out in like a funny way from the character. And then that will link you to the variety pack so you can just like try everything. Um, And then the other one is like I hate cereal. Um, which links you to a TikTok video of um, Davi, our social media manager. Like, it's just like, I don't know. You have to watch it. It's just funny. That's She's funny. basically like, I hear you hate cereal. Like, let's talk about this kind of thing. So <laughs> you get a little therapy session if you click you hate cereal. That's so funny. Um, what a great problem to have people spending too much time on your site. That's awesome. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we built a lot of games on there. Like, it's fun. <laughs> the I Spy thing, like, it's like the level of detail that we put into everything too is what makes me super, super proud of the brand. Like, that photo shoot was like insanely intricate to the point where, like, uh, if you were on the cinnamon cereal page, Flex is mm-hmm. like the wake up workout kind of character. So we built this like '80s style set, and we even printed like cinnamon smells and sticker and like put it on deodorant like label like um we worked with this amazing agency burn and broad and they made these like really cool kind of like graphics and things like that so it's that shoot was so fun that's amazing i love that um so here at fiddle we're um inventory operation software so i always like to dig into the operation side of a business a little bit just to 
you know, see what kind of gems you have to share with other founders to help kind of um, improve that side of the business. So tell me a little bit about how you run the operations in your business. Yeah. So it's, it's literally the most important part of the business. Um, What we've struggled with is building the foundation and then watching it crumble because of outside circumstances like everything that happened last year and then building it up Mm -hmm. again and watching it crumble because we had to switch co-packers or like all these like major things happen so I guess the only advice I would have to give is from my event experience where when you're planning an event plan for things to go wrong and you're going to be ready for that so you're not it's it's nothing that you're doing wrong it's just kind of the nature of getting a product produced like that is so hard anyone who wants to do that or is doing that like should be immensely proud because the amount of moving parts and things kind of out of your control that you have to like constantly be wrangling is um is a lot of pressure so everyone seems like at least when I read about CPG brands and things like that, a lot of times things are projected as like very glossy and like, oh, the product just like appears and we're selling millions of units of it. And when you really talk to founders, if they'll tell you and businesses, like it's everyone is figuring it out. So don't Mm -hmm. feel like you're doing anything wrong essentially. But um, yeah, it took us a minute, but now it's great. Like we have amazing relationships with our suppliers. It just takes time. It's like any relationship. You can't just like start something and expect it to like be perfect right off the bat. Uh, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I like that approach of, you know, being patient with yourself, taking time and knowing that, um, you know, things, things can and will go wrong and just being able to move forward still and, um, you know, solve the problems when they come up and, do your best, not be too hard on yourself. I think that's all, those are all really positive approaches. Um, when, because you're, you know, you're, you're first time founder with the, as, as far as a CPG brand goes, how did you go about like learning how to work with a co-packer or, you know, like how to find packaging and all that stuff? So for my event series, I, worked I created like an entire line of like essentially really cool designed fast food packaging and like worked with chefs to kind of like pack in that for some of the events so my event experience has come into play a lot essentially that is building a supply chain like I had to like like by myself basically created national um events like that were happening back to back, like coordinating with all of that stuff. So I think my organizational skills and relationship building skills were the most important thing that I learned for that, that I could apply to this. And it, to be honest, it feels, it feels very similar. I think some of the technical stuff is, um, what I'm excited about now to like dive in with, a new hire, like someone who can like really take on supply chain is obsessed with like, um, with all of the, the details of each ingredient and things like that. So. Gotcha. That's cool. So with your, yeah, with your, with your previous experience hosting the breakfast and the events that was building a supply chain. And so kind of applying that to the CPG brand was like a natural segue, kind of a new challenge in a certain way, but not completely unfamiliar or different than what you're doing before. Right. Um, I mean, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of research. Like 
I cannot even tell you how many, I mean, you know, how many hours of research it takes <laughs> to, to find a co-packer and the amount of like negotiations. Will this work here? Will this work on this machine? Like so, so many like technical questions and things like that. Um, so now I feel like for cereal, I get what's going on, but I'll have friends call me about supply chain things when they're producing certain products. And I'm like, Ooh, I have no idea. I would have to start from scratch essentially. Yeah. Like I know the, the resources and things may be a little bit better, but when you're, we just launched, um, cereal glitter, which is like an edible glitter that you can put on your cereal to like turn it into a fun disco party because, uh, why not? And, I love it. Yeah. Um, that was a totally different product, totally different co-packer ingredients, supply chain, everything. So we built that out, um, from scratch as well. And we'll, we'll keep doing fun stuff like that. So I think you get better at it, you get better at like finding what you need, but, um, I don't know if it ever gets easier or like completely streamlined when you're building a new product, you're starting over. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you, um, do you have like certain resources that you turn to or like people or friends when you run into challenges? Like, do you use Google, YouTube, or like Slack groups or anything that you're in? Like, how do you kind of, what's your, what's like your first step when you, when you're trying to solve a problem? I think for, if for founders or really anyone, um, in the startup world, I would create a really strong network of other businesses that, you really respect and like kind of can work closely with like the amount of times that I text people from other companies a day, like asking them questions. Like I'm in so many, not even groups. It's more just like, I need help. Like what did, or like, what did you use for this thing? What did you use for this thing? So I think building your network um, within the startup community is really important with other brands that are kind of have a similar mentality as you. And then um, a really good hack too is like looking at colleges. Like colleges have really incredible co-packing facilities that are meant to be like very small scale. So I've gotten multiple emails from people who are like, I'm starting a cereal brand. Do you have any advice? And I'm like, yes, like look at colleges. I probably would have done that first and like go from there see if you can like try things at a really small scale before you do anything bigger. Interesting. Colleges. Is that like, because there's like food programs yeah. in the schools and they help them like develop their own products? Um, well, Cornell has like a food innovation lab and hmm. there's like a few colleges. And again, it depends the product you want because these are not massive co-packing facilities. So they have very specific limitations and products that they like test out. Um, so it really just depends, but it's a really good kind of resource to get your foot in the door. If you just are like curious about something, want to try and see if it works. Cereal is a unique, <laughs> uniquely ridiculous thing to produce, but, um, but it's out there. It's doable. Yeah. So you like chose the hardest, um, the hardest product to make and wanted to make it different than everything else. Like you have your work cut out for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially because we had That's such awesome. um, unique ingredients as well. So our co-packer was looking at the ingredient list and they're like, why? Like, why aren't you just using like this supplier? Like everybody else does. I'm like, no, like these people mm -hmm. are so great. Like we have to use them. So 
that's awesome that you're able to stand your ground and stuff. How did you find, so do you source all of your own supplies and ingredients and then send it to the co-packer? Yes. It gives right us on. more flexibility as well. I don't really like mm -hmm. prizes and I want to have eyes on what we're doing. So um, if for some reason the co-packer couldn't get something or there's delays, at least we know and we're the ones sourcing it. So we can decide which alternative option we want, which will 100% come up when you're producing food products. So yes. um, we're now kind of building our network of like A, B, C, like options, especially now with like another really fun kind of global supply chain crisis happening. Yeah, right. Like the second, like part two supply chain. Um, I think it's really smart by the way that you're building those backup options. Is that some, is that something that you're doing because you kind of foresee the need for that or did you, did it kind of bite you, you know, in, in the butt before where you were left without supplies or without a co-packer because it was backordered or what kind of caused that? I love to say we planned for it, but we definitely <laughs> did not have the time to plan for it. We were happy we were getting the plan A. Um, but when we needed, when we needed a plan B, we figured it out and now, Hey, we have a plan B moving forward for that particular ingredient. So I think when we can grow a little bit, it's something we're going to optimize a bit more, which makes sense. But right now goal is to get people their cereal. I love it. I love it. And I love, and I love the real talk, you know, plan A was working and plan B came about when plan A didn't work quite as well. Right. And I think in business, when you're, when you're starting things up, new projects and it's okay to not have like backup plans and to not have, you know, catastrophe plans and that kind of thing, you can still figure it out, um, in the moment as it happens. And so, but also good on the other side of the coin, if you do have the time and the bandwidth for those of you that can, you know, being able to have those backup suppliers and backup co-packers, I think is, is obviously really important as well. Um, we're getting close to the end. This conversation has been awesome so far. Um, I want to give you kind of just a moment, an opportunity. Tell us about your brand and anything that's coming up that you want the audience to know about. Yeah. So, I mean, as a summary, Aquamits is a super defiant vegan and gluten-free cereal brand with offensively delicious flavors and a band of moody mascots. And you can find us um, on eatofflimits.com. And then we're at Off Limits on social media. I love it. I love it. Do you have any kind of parting words of wisdom for other CPG founders or other professionals that are doing their best to make their way in the world of CPG? I mean, going off of what we were talking about before, I would say plan A never works. So be flexible. and that's the best advice I think I can give from a, from an operational perspective is just prepare for things to go wrong. I like it. I like it. I mean, I don't like that things go wrong, but I like that advice of planning for things to go wrong and then being prepared for when they do, because they always will eventually. Like my favorite uh, fiction character, Jack Reacher says, hope for the best plan for the worst. Right. Kind of a good right. philosophy to have. It also doesn't mean that it's bad. Like we've had some things that 
we needed a plan B, a plan C, like all this stuff. And we were flexible and we kind of like rode the wave and like, let it, let it take us where we needed to go. And that destination ended up being 10 times better than plan A Mm. showing us things like we wouldn't have seen if we kind of like stuck with that original plan. So I think you just have to kind of, I've learned not to overly force things like fight for things, but don't force them. As someone with the background in forecasting, that's got to be kind of hard. Or no, is it not? Not forcing things? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, not forcing things, but like you're forecasting and like wanting to plan for things, but then having the attitude that it's okay if it doesn't happen. Like, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think it's cool that you're able to balance those two kind of mind spaces, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, forecasting is not definitive so i think i've learned that you can study culture you can recognize patterns and understand and like see the future a little bit but the future can always change and that's what's so exciting about it like i i love the problem solving elements of that where like you can kind of see what's going to happen like i can very clearly see what off limits is as a brand like five, 10 years from now. And keeping that like future visibility is what helps me stay on the right path. Um, But that path will shift sometimes. And then like a new path will open up and seem really clear, or I'll keep like projects um, on the stove. But if I feel like I'm just, I'm forcing it too much, I put it down and I'll like turn off the heat for a little bit. And then the ones that are worth happening always circle back around, which has, we've been in business a year. This has happened Mm. multiple times already, especially with partnerships. If it's not the right time, it, it's not the right time and it'll circle back if it's meant to. I love that. I think that's a fantastic note to end on. Emily, it's been fantastic to chat with you. Thanks for taking the time and for sharing with us, you know, this part of your a journey over the past year and super stoked to order some cereal, keep an eye out for the NFT launch and all the other cool stuff that you're doing. Definitely going to try the cereal glitter. Um, I think that looks really tasty as well. Um, thanks again. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Great chatting. All right. Bye. See you. Bye. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle, and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for physical product movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.